from LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Hi, I'm Kyla. And this is Jay. And you're listening to Strange Fruit Podcast. Uh, welcome back, to listeners. I uh, hope everything is going well on you all's end. Uh, we are well into the midst of, of Corona season, quarantine season. And just when it looked, uh, Kyla, like things were turning around, when it looked like perhaps we were on the, uh, the, the I guess, if we were going through the tunnel, if the light was in the, was in the near future, the cases spiked, states are shutting back down. You know, I, I just saw the state of uh, the city of Baltimore, the, the, the mayor recently you know, shut down the nightclubs again and, and shut down, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's like, I don't, I don't know if it's because folks don't know how to act. I don't know if it's because more people are, are just getting tested and more, they're more positive diagnoses. But nonetheless, a lot of places, the cases are spiking back up again. No, I know. And I think it's both. And I think it's a little bit of both. I think that we're getting more tests and, and the testing, um, is becoming more frequent, so the rates are increasing, and then also people are getting a little buck. I think that once um, all these major cities started doing this, let's open the economy back up, small business owners, right? Um, they, they took that to me. Well, if businesses, we can have a party of thirty people at our crib, we can have a barbecue, we can, right? Um, and so I think it's it's both and. It's yeah. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not bad at nobody because you know I, I get that. You know, that's how it comes when it, when it comes to science and health. That's how, just like we're wearing condoms, right? People know that wearing condoms are good for your health, but folks don't do it, right? And so it's like, yeah. we don't get that go well when you have 4th of July and Memorial Day and, and so-and-so graduation party and so-and-so birthday. We knew we shouldn't be gathering like that. You know, folks knew they shouldn't be doing yeah. those things. Or, you know, you know, some cities, you can folks go to the after-hours clubs. But I can't blame people because I'm not gonna say I can't blame people. I understand the frustration, the impulse because man, it's been tough being locked down for four months. I mean, it just has. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, folks will, will play by the rules. There's now these different mask mandates uh, in places around the country. Some folks are tightening the reins back on their citizens. So I just, I just hope that things uh, things get better before they get worse. Anyway, no, I hope so too. I hope so too. And I think what's hard about this pandemic as as proof of all world pandemics that we've ever had in the course of human history is we're trying to find out how best to manage it, treat it, vaccinate it, and also learn about it at the in same the midst time of it, yeah. <laughs> in the midst of it being like this global crisis. So I think it's a lot uh, for everybody involved, the scientists, the doctors, the hospitals, um, and everyday human beings who want to you know, do things like get together and gather. They haven't seen their people in several months and they feel like, well, they're saying it's just about these people, this age group and not us. And well, masks aren't mandatory when it's just 10 people. And so I just think there's a lot of also misinformation and oh, absolutely. Definitely, definitely driven by people's wants though. I mean, wants yeah. and needs. I think that seeing people being in community face-to-face -face physically, that is a deep deeply rooted human need as well. Absolutely. And you know, I've been listening to a lot of national NPR and, and they were talking about just the kind of uniqueness of the situation. Well, yeah, the uniqueness of the situation and that 
usually it, it takes it can take up to ten years for vaccines and and those kinds of things. And this is really the first vaccine in in, in his, human history or modern history that's really being fast tracked in such a way. And they're saying that even one, even when a, a vaccine, if you want a vaccine developed, there's still a number of Americans. They're saying right now about fifty percent of Americans have this skepticism that's either rooted in a distrust of the government. Um, or, you know, even people who are pro-vaccine will have the, they decide the ideology of, oh, well, well, you go first, you, you know, you get the shot first and let's see how you react. And right there's a skepticism either because of the distrust of the government in general or health in general, or two, even among people who believe in vaccines, the notion of this vaccine being fast-tracked. And, and so uh, a lot of scientists, experts are saying that even though this is being fast-tracked, and that is, it's gonna take a year versus 10 years or whatever, that still those safety precautions are, are still being followed appropriately. The, 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 the test of 100 people, then 1,000 people, then 30,000. So, um, but it is a very unique, a unique situation. And it's like they're saying, scientists are saying that it's going to take at least 85% of Americans or, you know, worldwide citizens for that matter, but especially Americans, at least 85% of us will have to take this vaccine in order for it to become effective in terms of not, not having a, a big outbreak every, every year, right? And that at this point, polls are showing that only about half of us are willing to even take it. And so, uh, like it or not, I think coronavirus is going to be around for a while. You know, I, 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 I can't even front. I remember when, like, you know, like the, the very early months and people were selling the little fashion masks for corona, like all the different designers are making masks. I'm like, y'all are so silly buying designer masks and color, color coordinated masks, and this stuff's going to really be around for a while. And now it's time for me to order me old Louis Vuitton mask because clearly hey. a part of you hey. know standing up for the procedures, trying to match it up with your uniform or whatever you gotta do. Hey, I was already on it as soon as I heard about global. As soon as I heard the words global pandemic, I stocked up, high, stocked up, honey, with the luxurious mask with the little diamonds and the pearls. Yes, the glitter. I got I got some with gold crowns on them. Of course, Black Lives Matter ones. I have like African claws. I got yeah. So I got a I got a right. gamut. Yeah, you did, you did, you did. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that brings me to today's guest, today's topic, which which is still related to, to this very issue. I mean, even though uh, a lot of a lot of travel um, is, is is has slowed down or shut down or whatever, whether it be personal or business, there are some places that open it back up, and eventually we will have to figure out a way, uh, coronavirus or not, to do business, to do travel, uh, both personal and business related travel, and then also even within your own city sometimes, you know, there's this whole movement to, to, to spend money, for, especially for black folk, to spend money with black vendors, to spend money with black business owners, and for well-being and well-intentioned and, and white folk of good conscience to begin to spend their dollars with, with black business owners and, and other folks who spend their money with black business owners. And so you, you take the need for, for travel. And I think that we've always known before coronavirus, it's, you know, us living here in Kentucky, Folks travel internationally, folks travel throughout the country, but not everywhere is safe for black people. I mean, you have, of course, on the right end, you got the white Karens, the white Bobs, who are policing our leisure, but, but on, the, on the very far other side, you have black people being killed and, 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 and beaten and, and, and all those kind of things because they venture into the quote unquote wrong place. Or So it's like, how do we find places that are safe for us as consumers? And, and as travelers, and so you, you, you have the travel aspect, you have the aspect of supporting black businesses and businesses that support black people. And so I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, who is the U.S. spokesperson for a wonderful new startup called I Love Black People. And to tell us all about this new tech startup, please welcome to the show U.S. spokesperson Jarvis Houston. 
Jarvis, thank, I you, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to Strange Fruit. So th- th- this this startup is called I Love Black People. Okay, which hey, you, you so you had me at the title. I don't care if it's a t-shirt, a face mask, or it's a sex startup. I'm a part of it. If it's called I Love Black People, but tell us what is I Love Black People? How did it come to be, and what what is the motive behind this behind this initiative? Yes, um, I Love Black People is a black tech startup. Um, it was started recently by Sinclair Skinner, who's an African-American, and Christopher Mpordereau, who's, who's from Zimbabwe, both are Howard University um, alum. They created the technology to build a global network to pr- protect black people from racism and xenophobia using technology. Um, going back to the Green Book, our, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, my great-grandparents um, are from, and my grandparents are from Mississippi and Missouri, and they use the Green Book. And if they went to Greenville, Mississippi, if they went to Little Rock, Arkansas, um, if they went to Kentucky, they used the Green Book. Um, uh, similar to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther, I'm from Chicago, born and raised. Martin Luther King went to the west side of Chicago in 1966. And when he stayed in Chicago, he, he utilized the Green Book to go to the barbershop, to go to restaurants, going to, um, going, using the Green Book to protect African-Americans back during the civil rights movement. Malcolm X, civil rights, um, Martin Luther King, and so many of our civil rights um, and our uh, civil rights leaders and our own um, ancestors and our grandparents used the Green Book. And unfortunately, it, it's years and years later, in 2020, where we still, as African-Americans, still we're the only people that have to say, if I'm going to Catahoula, Columbia, if I'm going to Kentucky, if I'm going to New Hampshire, if I'm going to Iowa, I have to first ask if, my, if the place, the city I'm going to is racist, is the neighborhood racist, is the restaurant racist, is the, is the bathroom and the gas station racist? We have to ask ourselves that question. So that um, the website, ilovblackpeople.com allows us, number one, as, Af- as um, black people, we recommend what, what we call it in tech world, it's called crowdsource, where we recommend businesses um, and restaurants, um, investment firms throughout the world. And so far we have identified over 40,000 black owned and black friendly businesses um, throughout the world, including Zimbabwe, including Libya, anywhere in the world. And we have members, um, we have members from our love black people from, from Zimbabwe, we have them from South Africa, we have them from Chicago, New York. It's an international black tech firm, the first of its kind, using technology to protect black people from racism and xenophobia. Um, Using that website, you go to the website, you look up the city, we have a GPS technology that pinpoints exactly where you are at that moment, and then identifies anything like we talked about the coronavirus how many of us especially i have sisters that that's been pregnant that when they went to the doctor the doctor didn't understand or the doctor did not know how to treat their pain more than they knew how to treat a white woman so it's opportunity so african-american owned and black friendly healthcare centers we the worst thing in the world for all of us as, as, as black people is to is to become sick in a place that's not comfortable that we don't know and if i get sick in Mexico, if I get sick in the Dominican Republic, I want to go to a healthcare center or a hospital that I feel protected, that I feel a sense of belonging. And I love Black people create that sense of belonging, creating safe places for African Americans and Black people throughout the world. And we have over 400,000 ambassadors. We have over 50,000 members. And we identified um, 14,000 businesses throughout the world, spanning over 200 cities.
That is absolutely wonderful. And I'm so excited for this network. So my, my, my question for you is, is two parts. First, how does one become a member? What is the cost, you know, fees involved? What are the kind of gift bags that they get if they become a member? Um, and then also with all of the news for the past several months about the racism that African-Americans in particular encounter in Airbnbs, does your site also include like Airbnbs and different hotels where black folks to stay in and they can feel safe? Absolutely, great question. So speaking about membership, number one, all of the technology for all of black people is free to black people. It's no charge to utilize our technology to protect you from racism and xenophobia. It's something that we do all the time. It's for, for example, 10 years ago, I know we all went to New York, I'm from Chicago, I went to college in DC, and 10 years ago, we had to flip a coin when taking the cab. Maybe the cab was stopped, maybe it's not. I remember me and my friends, we came from a black tie gala. Yes, a black tie gala took us 30 minutes to get to, to, to hail a cab. And the only reason we held the cab 10 years ago is because we asked the white guy to, to hail the cab for it, then we jumped in the cab. Um, and now with Uber and Lyft and so many ride sharing devices, we hit a button. Um, it comes in five to 10 minutes and we get in the, in the car and it makes us feel as black people a little bit more comfortable. Is rash share devices perfect? No, they're not perfect, but at least they're starting the pattern of using technology to protect ourselves from racism. So with membership, we have two types of membership. You can become a free member. Um, or ambassadors for I Love Black People by going to illoveblackpeople.com. And that gives you access to our technology. It also gives you access, like if you're, if you're in Seattle, Washington, or you're in London, England, you can become an ambassador of I Love Black People, just speaking about to your friends and your neighbors about I Love Black People. And we also have a paid membership, which you receive a nice free I Love Black People t-shirt, which I will send a t-shirt to all of um, the, you, you, you great hosts. Um, I just need your address. Um, and you get a receive a I Love Black People free t-shirt. You also get access to our global, uh, first of its kind, our global uh, green book, and also access to our various other technology devices that, that help us see and also help us promote um, black friendly and black owned businesses yeah. throughout the world. And as uh -huh. uh, far as racism, um, hotels and racism, I had my own experience when I was in New Hampshire volunteering for a presidential campaign and I took an Airbnb, I paid my money for the Airbnb. I went to the place and as black people, we know, we, we just, it's like a, 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 another sis that sells us when someone's racist to us if someone feels comfortable around us so as soon as i opened the door the guy was like oh oh yeah i think i'm not gonna uh i'm not going to um really t um rent out the airbnb anymore i said i already paid for it he's like no uh you know i just think it's, it's it's not it's not it's not gonna be a good fit so i had all my bags i'm sweating and i called airbnb and i said yeah i said your host um, just made me feel uncomfortable. And I said, I don't know if the guy was racist for sure, but I know when I feel racism. I, I said, I can't tell you if I see it, but I feel it. Um, and I eventually got my funds back and I went to Twitter and Facebook and, and really explained what was going on. And I told Airbnb, I said, I'm going on Twitter because at the end of the day, I don't want anyone else to feel this way. And what I love black people, we have hostels, we have hostels, we have, um, we have so, um, a great deal of African-American, Black-owned, Black-friendly hotel throughout the world. And for, even Dr. Martin Luther King, the last 
um, place he stayed at, unfortunately, he, he was shot and killed, but it was a Black-owned hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, because even during the Civil Rights Movement, our leaders understood the value of supporting Black-owned and Black-friendly businesses. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, we are super excited, Jarvis, for this venture. We, we're so appreciative for you spending time with us and telling our listeners about it. I've kind of perused the website, and, and it's cool. It's, uh, it's still growing, and so I really encourage our listeners uh, who are Black folk, no matter where you are, hop onto the website. If you know about a Black-owned business, if, if you want to be an ambassador, so to speak, or, or you know, for, for your town, or for your city, or for your state, or your country even, we have international listeners. Hop on the website and let people know about the places that you go, you know, what, what are the hidden jewels in your neighborhood, or perhaps when you've been traveling throughout the South or throughout the country or throughout the world, you've discovered places that are either black owned or maybe, maybe they're black friendly. You know, there can be some places where black folk don't own nothing, but, but there's that one business or those two businesses where, you know, black folk are going to be treated well. And I, I tell you, Jarvis, I can feel you completely. You know, I lived in DC for, for, for a little while back in, uh, back in the day after, after high school. And you're right, but it came to taxi cabs, man, even, it's, it's sad to say, but even other 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 brown folk or the black folk, uh, you know, would, would pass you up if you're if you're a black person. You had Absol- to, absolutely. You had, you had to get your white person, and, and you know that that was rooted. In, listen, we can talk about that for, for days about that being rooted in a fear of black people. But you had to get somebody white for somebody white to to fake to fake hell hell and cab for you. So I do appreciate the technology. You have Uber and 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 Lyft, and those kind of be like a great equalizer. And I'm really excited that perhaps I love black people will also be that when it comes to things like that, keep making reservations and going places where we feel safe and sound. Uh, listeners, I guess there's been Jarvis Houston. Jarvis is the US spokesperson for I Love Black People, which is a black tech startup that uses technology to build a global network to protect black folks from racism and xenophobia, especially while traveling and in new environments. Jarvis, take care and come back anytime. All right, thank you all. Bye-bye, be well. Hi, thank you. Bye-bye. The work we do on Strange Fruit wouldn't be possible without your support. If we've made you laugh, or made you think, we hope you'll consider chipping in. Visit donate.strangefruitpod.org. That's donate.strangefruitpod.org. Thank Thank you. you. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Welcome back. You're listening to Strange Fruit Podcast. All right, uh, Doctor, I'm super excited for today's uh, feature interview. Um, it, our guest is a fellow podcaster like us, a yes. fellow black podcaster like us, yes, a fellow Louisvillian black podcaster like us, and so we have really hit the jackpot. Uh, I think that we're going to be, uh, we and our guests will be in good hands uh, today. I'm just super excited about, you know, as as we, we we talked with our first guest about how the the venture that he's a part of um, is is so timely and so relevant during these times. I mean, of course, I feel like everything that we do as activists, as educators, as, as, as Black folk or whatever business we're in, it's always relevant. But it just seems like lately, a lot of stuff just makes a whole lot more sense in today's political and social times. And so, uh, as you mentioned with the earlier conversation, when it comes to traveling, when it comes to supporting Black businesses, that tech startup is really helping folk plug into that. 
And I think that also um, folk are, are using this time, especially white folk in particular, and the other non-Black people are using this time to really begin to delve deeper in, 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 into the history books. I mean, even JCPS, uh, our public school system here in Louisville has, has now mandated certain Black history classes for certain grades. There are classrooms across the country that are mandating education about, about Black folk, about, about Indigenous folk, about LGBT folk, that, that really school systems, colleges, even business, private businesses around the country are really committing themselves to finally do the hard work of either unlearning the incorrect or racist or whatever we're gonna have it sexist, homophobic history they've been taught until you do the hard work about finding out the true story of, of America and America's, America's heroes. And, and as, as listeners know, lucky for me, I was able to go to summer camps as a young person. I was able to go to different programs that taught me about black history. So I'd watch Mississippi Burning when I was like eight years old, you know, like in movies, you know, and, and Miss Jane Pittman. And I learned about the Angula Saba and I learned about, you know, about the things that black folk invented and, and all those kind of things. And I was really lucky, but everybody doesn't have that. And so I'm just really excited that today's, uh, today's guest is a podcaster and the creator of a project, a podcast called The Humanity Archive. The Humanity Archive is a website, a project, and a podcast that really seeks to shine light on either the untold or underrepresented stories from throughout history. So without further ado, please welcome to the show, the creator of The Humanity Archive, Jermaine Feller. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've uh, listen to your show for a while. So I really appreciate what you all do and your perspectives that you all bring us uh, fellow podcasters and uh, super glad to be here. Hey man, hey man. So tell us for our listeners who, who are maybe unaware, of course, I saw your feature recently uh, on the Courage Journal website. And you also are featured, uh, and this, this is really impressive listeners on Vanity Fair's list of, of uh, I, I wanna make sure I get this title right. So let me, let me pull it up. I wanna make sure I get this title right because it's, it's really impressive. They had a list of eight podcasts to deepen your knowledge of black history. And you, of course, are featured on the website. Tell us and our listeners, what is the Humanity Archive? How did it start and what's your goal? Well, the Humanity Archive is, it's me telling stories. And what I wanna do is tell the stories of history in the most compelling way possible, but not just any stories of history. I'm telling the stories of the people on the margins, the people on the borders of history. And that is the stories of Black people, the stories of indigenous people, the stories of women, the stories of, you know, those people who stories largely go untold. So that's what the Humanity Archive is about. And my goal is just to get these stories out in to the homes and to the earbuds and to the speakers of the widest audiences possible um, so that people can learn history in a way that fosters a sense of empathy, a sense of sympathy uh, and a sense of humanity where we can connect through our shared narrative. So that's what the Humanity Archive is and that's what I'm trying to do. Well, I absolutely love the Humanity Archive um, in terms of exposing all age groups to these forgotten heroes, these unsung heroes. And I also like the fact that y'all do, you do a blog in conjunction with what you do on the podcast. And so uh, in the blog, there's extra facts and, and so on and so forth and more background on the figures you mentioned on the podcast give our audience two figures that you've used outside of Ida B. Wells, Crispus Attucks, right? Because I think you have 
um, and looking at at the blog that goes with the podcast, I think you have such interesting connections. Like, well, I'm going to be specific. My my specific one is about talk to us a bit about your episode and the blog entry you have that involves uh, Ali Einstein and some other historical figure. I just can't remember the name. Yeah, I did a blog where I did one on deliberate practice, and I wanted to take some figures from history and just kind of um see how they mastered their craft. So I did Einstein and Ali and, um, you know, Mozart in, in the same article, but I just kind of wanted to tie in with this theme of practice, right? And how each and every one of them, like an aspect of, of their practice, whether it be Ali getting up and pounding the pavement every morning to go on his runs and, and uh, his routine, whether it be Mozart who studied other great musicians of the time, or whether it be Einstein who uh, actually collaborated with other scientists. So I wanted to bring an aspect of each of their, um, you know, practice to bear in order to empower people and, and just kind of show them that they didn't get these skills out of nowhere and just kind of tie these figures that you wouldn't really see uh, together on a page or in writing together, but show how they're connected uh, and can connect them in that way. Now, your, your background is not in education, Jermaine. You actually work in the you work in, in the business sector, come from the business world. You're not necessarily an educator or or, or come from journalism. So, um, how did you decide that like, this is what I want to take on? I mean, were you, were you someone who are you a history buff? Are you are you a great storyteller? Like, in other words, how does one go from, you know, um, because listen, we, we we've been doing this for eight years. We know it's, it's hard work to put together a podcast. Uh, you know, as a team, let alone as, as a single individual, then for you to have all the other components, like the like the blog and like the Instagram and the Twitter. But how did how did you decide? Did you wake up one day and say like, "Yo, this is what I'm called to do"? Was it a, was it a pet project, or how did you how did you in a very real way end up with like, okay, this is my idea, and this is what I'm going to do with it, and this is how I'm going to create it? Did you wake up one day and say, "This is what I'm supposed to do," or did you always have a desire to do something like this? I think this has always been a dream of mine, but uh, you know coming up in a generation where you grow up hearing that, you know, you, you need to go to college. That's the message that I was told, go to college so you can have a career and make money. So I didn't choose what my passion was, but ever since I was a kid, they used to call me the professor because I used to walk around with my dad's briefcase. Um, and then both of my parents were educators as well. So I think that spark uh, definitely was was placed within me by seeing my, my parents uh, educating kids and youth and uh, seeing that fulfillment that they had from their profession or their, their vocation. And, um, you know, I, I figured like, wow, I'm not really working in my, I'm working in a career, but I'm not working in my calling or my vocation. So just seeing the, the great opportunities we have now, you know, with the internet and being able to um, create your own platform and, and just kind of put yourself out there without having to work in particular for a radio station or without having to work for a TV network. I'm like, let me go ahead and just in 2020, just lean all the way into my my passion, right? Of storytelling, yeah. of, of looking at the world from a, a Du Boisian sociological perspective of like seeing how institutions act on people, um, you know, a, a grand interest in history, a love of history, a love of, of uh, learning, a love of, of, of teaching others and sharing knowledge. So I kind of brought all of that together and just kind of mixed it up into the Humanity Archive website. Yeah, we, we often talk, Doc and I often talk about like the beauty of, you know, of, of new media. We, we've had folk on the podcast lately who have been live streaming the protests around the country. Like, you know, we, we think that there's so much power in podcasting and live streaming, the ways in which the media now gets to be in the hands of everyday folk like us. And, and, and I'm like you, like I grew up in the 80s and 90s where 
there weren't a lot, of, a lot of black dudes on television telling our stories. Certainly, your parents are like, go get your good government job or go, you know, like, they're like, they're, they're, like the notion of, of pursuing your passion in, in a field that wasn't interesting for us uh, seems so out of reach. And so I love the fact that, that there are those of us who are working in, in these areas and doing this important work. And so one of the goals of your, of your community project is to, is to educate, entertain, and inspire action. My question for you, Jermaine, is how do you pick the figures that you're going to spotlight each week? Are, th are these people uh, that, that you kind of always admire growing up? Are these, are these historical figures that, that stand out to you? Are you kind of like just like throw dart at a dartboard? Like how do you pick the figures that you're going to, that you're going to spotlight um, each week or each month? Well, I've always been interested in this uh, uh, West African idea of Sankofa, which means go back or reaching back, go back and get it. So I really try to reach back a lot of times to those grand figures in history who stood up for something greater and grander than themselves, whether it be uh, those who stood up in a fight for justice or equality um, or, or trying to push an idea forward of freedom. So a lot of the stories I, I tell have to do with that. But, you know, I'm also a generalist, too. I, I just love knowledge. I love good stories. So I've told stories also that aren't so much to do with that, but they always kind of tie in those types of themes. Right. Um, so, like, for instance, I did a show on Socrates and that doesn't seem like something I might do, but I actually took it from the perspective of how he questioned injustice and then tie that into injustice uh, that is going on today. So. There's always kind of that underlying theme of, um, you know, some type of service or some type of uh, uh, people who, who did something bigger than themselves. So that's kind of how I pick the stories. But again, I, I've got books like my rooms are filled with books everywhere. I got books on the floor, books on bookshelves. So, I mean, I'm always pulling and, and, and looking and, and digging and diving, um, you know, for these stories. So, I mean, it's definitely, I, I mean, you know, the, the books are endless out there that I can get stories from. So uh you know that that's kind of the direction i like to go though yeah no i mean i loved um i love that you mentioned um what you did with socrates and how you connected socrates to our day-to-day -day experiences that that we're having right now in this current moment and what to me is clear from your podcast and also your blog is that not only are you kind of inserting these black historical powerhouse figures making your listeners and readers learn more about them but it's clear that black folk have been a part of world history like on your blog you have the um eight figures in uh, eight black figures in medieval times right showing that black people are a long have a long standing history why is it so important to you and should be to others that people understand black history as american history and black folks being in world history well i think it's important because whenever you walk into a barnes and noble and you see uh u.s history and you look on that shelf and you see 90 percent books with with white people and presidents and and civil war stories and then you go have to go to another section um in social sciences to see all the black history you see history is not still still not integrated right it's still not black history is over here it's segregated even in the bookstore so i mean i think kids see that too when they they read the history books and they see slaves being called workers i mean there's still a great inequality in historical narratives and historical stories so i think for me, like my great passion and my great idea that I have, not idea, but you know, just a passion in general is to show like the equality of black history, whether it be world history or in America as well, and uplift those stories to a level of equality, uh, you know, in the narrative. So I have a great passion for that. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Of course, uh, as I perused your Instagram page, first of all, shout out for you having like 12,000 plus social media followers on Instagram. Man, the people, the people are really loving when you have to share your, I also gotta, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out. I mean, all the reviews of your podcast sort of off with some kind of comment about the smoothness, the sexiness of your voice. So the people are also really loving your, your delivery. And they call you the professional, they should have called you Mr. Quiet Storm because you, you know, like, and, and so you, you obviously have what it takes to appeal to the people's uh, sensibilities. But I, I was perusing um, the Instagram page and I really enjoyed uh, just the, the, the well-roundedness of the page. Uh, it included one of my favorite historical figures, Byron Rustin. You, you made a post on uh, about him back in June during mm -hmm. Pride Month. And, and, and Rustin, of course, as we talk about folk like Dr. King, and we, and we talk about civil, uh, civil unrest and civil uprisings, that, 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 that Byron Rustin uh, was, a, was a person who was a, a, a very important figure in the civil rights movement. He was the man who taught Dr. King the principles of, uh, who first talked about the principles of nonviolent resistance. And of course, he, because he was uh, at the time, uh, had the, had the necessity to be an out gay man in, in a time when that, that just wasn't what was up. He, of course, was, was blacklisted. He was shunned, um, as the story goes, the FBI even uh, tried to blackmail Dr. King to say, hey, if you all don't get rid of this, of this dude from your movement, we're going to say that you all are lovers. And, and there was so much that, that, that Russell had to endure. And I really appreciate uh, projects like the Humanity Archive and, and movies like Brother Outsider and all the, all the work that's being done around telling the true history of the folks who have often been overlooked, like Ida B. Wells, like, like Byron Rustin. Um, let, let our listeners know, Jermaine, how can they follow your project? How can they listen to episodes? How can they read about the, the, the folk you're covering? How can they even maybe like, hey, suggest to you like, yo, uh, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so place and I just learned about this particular figure. I'd love to hear more about them or, you know, how can folk engage with you and your, your project? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, my podcast is on all the, the podcast platforms from Apple Podcasts to uh, Spotify to Stitcher. Um, also, my website is thehumanityarchive.com. That's www.thehumanityarchive.com. So all the podcasts are shared there, all my blog articles that were mentioned earlier, um, and a lot of other resources. Um, also have a Patreon that I'm starting as far as, you know, uh, I'm putting extra podcast episodes on there, like exclusively for that community there and other uh, resources like curriculum and syllabus and different things like that, that you can use for further study. And uh, my social media, Instagram, everything's at the Humanity Archive. So if you just search the Humanity Archive, you're going to come across me somewhere, whether it be a Google search or, or on social media. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, listeners, our guest today has been Jermaine Fowler. He's a history educator, a storyteller, and a self-described intellectual adventurer. Uh, he is the brains and the creator behind the Humanity Archive, which is a podcast and, and a multimedia project that seeks to teach history, share wisdom, and create critical dialogue. Jermaine Fowler, man, we really appreciate you making time for us. We, we, are, we are proud to be in good company with you from the same city and in the same field. We wish you nothing but the best, and please come back anytime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, Doc, well, we had two really wonderful guests today talking about two exciting initiatives. Thank you both to Jarvis and to Jermaine for sharing all about their, their wonderful projects that are really, you know, hey, listen, if, if, I, if I thought I was bored before during uh, the quarantine, I, I have, I'll get to go on the little app and, and investigate black businesses. I get to listen to episodes in the community archive. I got a full schedule. I got plenty on my to-do list, so I, I don't think I'm going to be bored for a while now. No, I don't think so either. I love it, too. I'm so, I'm so, so excited about what both of them are doing. 
I want to, I want to, I guess we should probably announce to the audience that, 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 that my family has grown in the, in the, in the, since we last talked to everybody, right? I, my family has grown. Uh, most, most of you all uh, know that I'm, that I'm an old maid um, as my 40th birthday approaches. Uh, you know, like, and shout out, shout out to Jenna. It's like, I'm about to be 40 years old. I was making chili in the summer. The other day I made chili, okay? Which I guess apparently you're not supposed to do make chili in the summer. And child, I was at bingo last Friday night, okay? So let me just say that I am fully embracing my old maid status. I love that you were at bingo. Did you win at bingo? Did you win or not? I didn't. I got awfully close, but uh, I didn't win. But it was fun. But I'll tell you what I did get was because I, ta I tagged, you know, I went with my sister Stu and I tagged us there and I said how much fun I was having. And so the bingo hall hit me up and said, hey, I'm just, we're going to send you some free passes. Thanks for the tag. So I'm super excited. Plus, I hear if you want your birthday, you need to play for free. So Chad, I bought me a little bingo dabber, a dauber. I guess it's really like a bingo dauber. And, but, but Doc, it's really, have you ever been to bingo? Have you been before? I have been to bingo, yes. We went to, we went to uh, bingo, uh, me and MJ and Missy this one time, and it was just a hoot. I mean. So it's like a rodeo. Like, like, the, like the announcer, you talk so fast, and then you have, they like, call so them. Much stuff, and I love, I love, like, I don't know if listeners know how much I love, I've always loved institutional food, like hospital food, food at carnivals, like elementary. Nacho, nachos and chicken fingers. Yeah, that like, kind of food, yeah. Like roller skating ring. Diving food, yes. Yeah, roller skating ring, you know it's fake. You know it's not real food or real ingredients, but it's delish. And bingo has tons, like cinnamon rolls to like all this like food. That's Listen, not Doc, they had all that. I, I, got, I got, we got nachos, extra cheese. I got chicken fingers with uh with fries. And the thing I love, everything is so affordable. Everything is so and then, of course it's all made like somebody's fry daddy and you know when, when somebody's probably Dutch oven or somebody's uh toaster oven. But um so I would just say that I'm embracing so the bingo on a Friday night was, was me fully embracing uh you know becoming an old baby. But on top of that, I am now a cat lady or a cat man, whatever. I adopted two kittens. Oh my uh, god. And so my, my family had expanded. What are their names? Their names are Rebel and Sylvester. And so I want to give a shout out to a place. Uh, it's called Perfect Day Cafe. It's a, it's a really wonderful concept here in Louisville. And it's like, it's, sort of, it's set up like a cafe or like a, wine, like a wine place. And you walk in and they have like, you know, a bar where you can offer your order your coffee or tea or your wine. But then they have an, an enclosed glass room where there's like 30 kittens just running around the room. And all those kittens are available for adoption the Kentucky Humane Society. So you literally can pay 15 bucks to play with these kittens for an hour. So say you just need like a stress relief, say you want a first date, say you just need something to do for the afternoon, you can literally make a reservation, pay 15 bucks and go and play with these kittens and hold them and pet them and love on them for an hour. And you know, so, so that in and of itself is something fun to do. So you can do that, but then also, if you want, you let them know they have ambassadors there from the Humane Society who will help you apply for adoption. So I, I played with the cats for a little bit. And as soon as that was over, I made it very clear that I wanted to, um, to take one of them home. And so I just sat there and I peeped out the different personalities. And so there was one who was really, uh, you know, I really wanted something lovable and, and, and holdable and squeezable. So that was Rebel. Rebel's a little gray, a little bitty gray kitten. And he's cuddly. And then there was also this orange cat that was bigger than the other cats kitchens rather and his name was Sylvester and he was so rowdy. Shelly was jumping everywhere and he was running everywhere and you know he was just like a like a wild child. 
Uh, so I was like, I gotta have, like, I couldn't decide. They were like, well, you can always, I'm like, I'll take a bow. Absolutely. You know, so uh, I had to get Rebel because of the name, of course, and because Rebel's so snuggly. And then Sylvester just reminded me some to myself of like kind of being, and I was, you know, anyway. And so I'm very happy. They're in my bedroom right now because they like to climb up on my laptop and press buttons while I'm, while I'm trying to record. So uh, yeah, my, family, my family has grown. So I guess I won't have to have to spend my life alone. Uh, I'll have the, the cats to keep me company. But yeah, so that's that's the most exciting development uh, in my life. And so I just want to share them with the audience uh, to welcome Rebel Gardner and Sylvester Gardner to the Sertune family. Well, I love Rebel and Sylvester. I love it. I'm excited to meet uh, my cat. Yes, you'll, you'll be some, yes your, your cat, your cat, nef, your nef cats. My nef so, cat. All, all right, Doc. Well, we're out of time for this week. I love you so much. I'll talk to you soon. But until then, I'll tell the people goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye, everybody. Strange Fruit is produced by Louisville Public Media. Our engineer is Koja Tashiro, who also composed our theme music. For more information about Strange Fruit, visit strangefruitpod.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pod. The views expressed on Strange Fruit do not reflect those of Louisville Public Media, its staff, or its underwriters. Strange Fruit is produced by me, Kyla Story. And me, Jason Gardner. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Thank you.